chapter 6. I picked verse 23. These commands are like a lamp. This teaching is like a light, and the correction that comes from them will help you have life. Proverbs is so fun to read. Um, Lord, we invite you now to come out of your, your word, your inspired scripture, Lord, and get into our hearts. We ask God for nothing less than the miraculous, that it wouldn't be the words of this vessel, but instead it would be the whisperings of the Holy Spirit that go on over this next season as we're in your word that can make a difference. So, Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is the last um, message in a four-week series, which I'm calling Bless This Home. And uh, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus that are found in Matthew chapter 5. They're commonly called the Beatitudes. And um, Jesus gave us eight different um, directions for things to do if you want to be blessed. And uh, we have picked four of them. And in, in, in these different things that Jesus was talking about, he was talking to everybody about them. But for, the, for our purposes, we're taking those, those suggestions about blessing, and we're going to take them and apply them directly to our families and see how we can get uh, our blessing within our homes. Because when you look around, there's a lot of families and a lot of homes that are not as blessed as God would want them to be. And uh, so um, there's been a key thought that I've shared with you each of the weeks so far, and it carries through um, for this week as well, and that's this. We are not just a Christian home, but we are a Christ-centered family. And um, sounds very, very similar, similar, and you might think to yourself, what's the difference? Um, you know, unfortunately, the word Christian in our culture doesn't really mean a whole lot anymore. It's, it's become this default thing. It's like, you know, if you ask people what they believe, um, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, we like Christmas, so I guess we're Christians. And that's, it sounds overly simplified, but a large number of people, that's really where they are. It really is where they are. And um, so I would, I would say that they are cultural Christians, or they're Christians in name only, and I don't mean that to be condescending. I just mean it to say that's really the kind of Christians they are. They're, they're not really Christians, and what, and 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 so, I you know I I think that if we take that title and we take it seriously, the word Christian, and we say we're not just a Christian home in the cultural sense, but we're Christ-centered in all that we do. Jesus isn't just a convenient part of our life. He's not just the guy we call on when we need something. And, you know, we, we don't only go to church at Easter or when we feel like it, but instead he's truly the center of our lives. Then there's going to be some sort of evidence to people who look on from the outside. They'll see it. They'll see that we're different. They won't think it's good different, but they'll see that we're different. And they'll be right. We are. Our values will be different. The way we raise our children will be different. The way we use our resources, our time, and our money will be different. The way we treat people will be different because Jesus isn't just a part of our life. He is our lives, and, and we're Christ-centered in all we do. So um, as we get into the beatitude that we're going to look at today, um, our key thought for today is this. If you are a Christ-centered family, you will be persecuted. Now, this is the message that everybody tells you don't ever preach because people don't want to come to church and hear bad news. But I'm, you know, I'm of the persuasion that there's something in the word of God and you don't avoid certain parts. So let's dig in there and not just, you know, flagellate ourselves, but let's, let's dig in there and find out what the Lord wants to do that's positive with us in spite of this truth. 
Because if you are going to be Christ-centered, you will be persecuted. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a Christ-centered family, people are going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They'll ridicule you or worse. And that's what happens when you're Christ-centered. And I don't know how it'll play out for your family because I think it's different for every family. But it, 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 it's, it, can, it starts the minute you open your heart to the Lord. It did for me. When I was um, a high school senior... I might have told you this story in some fashion before, but um, I went to church on Easter because my parents asked me to, and out of respect to them, I said, okay, I don't want to go, but I will go. And I went to church, and um, the preacher preached your typical Easter message, which was about the resurrection and eternal life and how to have it. And all of that interested me. And I opened my heart to the Lord in that service. And I did it in a very public way. The pastor said, if you want to open your heart to the Lord, put your hand in the air. Okay. And then if you were serious, come down here to this altar. And the church that I was in, I was sitting in the middle of the balcony. And it was a long ways down. <laughs> and I, I, I told you there was a little boy who was sitting in front of me. And when I put my hand in the air, he spun around and looked at me and... I thought, turn around, kid, mind your own business, you know. It's nothing to do with you. And then two or three minutes later when the pastor says, if you meant this, come down here and let us pray with you. He spun around again. And um, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? Disappoint this little boy or what? I think the Holy Spirit spun that kid. Because I would have slipped under the radar. Because I knew I didn't want to face what I would face. And uh, yeah, he spun around and so okay, I left my seat. And I don't remember what mom might remember or other people might remember, but I just remember the room went dark and a spotlight came out of the attic. And as I walked out, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, what are you doing? You know, nobody actually treated me like that way, but that's how I felt. And I went to the end and I went down the long stairway and across front and I swear, this is a big church. There was probably 1,500 people there at the time. I don't know, a lot of people. And I swear nobody was at the altar. So here I come. The truth is a lot of people were going. A lot of people were going. But as far as I was concerned, I was dark and a spotlight on me. And I got down there. And I opened my heart to the Lord. And after service left out, there was a big family gathering at my family's house. And I didn't show up for a while. I don't know if you remember that either. But I kind of drove off by myself and found a quiet place where I could say, Lord, what did I just do? Literally, Lord, what did I just do? It was right. But I meant it. I meant it. So I go home. Well, here's the part where when I said persecution starts immediately, the next day, I was a senior at Olympia High School, and um, I was pretty social, you know. And, um, I mean, I was very social with a lot of people there, just like kids are now. And I hadn't been on that campus for like two minutes before a handful of the most popular girls, probably five or six of them, started taunting me. Hey, Terry, we saw you at the altar yesterday. Are you Mr. Religious now? I mean, just, it just started. It just started. And I was, one of the, I, mean, I was one of the cool kids. I got to sit at the cool table, and all of a sudden, I was being assaulted and persecuted. Now, it sounds pretty minor. You know, it's, not, it's, it's, it's about on the level of me getting my hair messed up, right? It's not really that big a deal. But in high school, that's a pretty big deal. When the most popular kids start to demean you and mock you and make fun of you, and... Um, it was hard, and I didn't react right. 
I let this thing turn into a sword, and it can be pretty sharp, you know, and that's something the Lord has been working on me for my whole life. Put that back in the scabbard before I take it away from you. Okay, Lord, you know, put it, you know. So anyway, you're going to be prosecuted, per- persecuted. <laughs> the first week of this series, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness in an unrighteous world, you're going to be mocked. Second week, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you attempt purity in your life in a world that idolizes impurity, you're going to be mocked. Last week, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If somebody strikes you on one cheek and you just turn the other cheek, if, if you go the extra mile and forgive something that seems unforgivable, a lot of people aren't going to know what to think. They're going to think, you're weird. You're a doormat. You're stupid. What's wrong with you? And they're going to mock you. And Jesus said very, very, very clearly, in the eighth, that was the last beatitude, he said, Matthew 5, and this is verse 10 and 12, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the part that sounds really unusual to us. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Wow, blessed are you when people make fun of you, persecute you, ridicule you because of your faith in me, great is your reward. What? I'm going to be blessed because... I'm going to have problems. I'm going to be attacked because I live right? Really? You know, well, okay, so now you might think, well, yeah, obviously, Terry, you know, you, you're, you're going to live that way. You've got to try to live that way because you're a preacher. You're kind of odd. You deserve it, you know. Okay, all right. The thing is, you don't have to be a preacher to be persecuted, right? You know that. I mean, in fact, I think the very first example in the, uh, in the Bible of, of this is probably the story of Cain and Abel, where, um, you know, and it wasn't because Abel was preaching to his brother Cain. In fact, here's the reason that, that, that Cain was so angry was that Abel was living the right way. Scripture says that um, um, Abel was doing the right things before God. God respected his gift and he didn't respect Cain's, and Cain got all upset and got, you know, got convicted of his own sin, and he was angry, and, and he lashes out, and he kills his brother. Not because Abel did anything wrong, but because Abel did things right. And when you're a Christ-centered family, you will have different values than the people around you. You know, maybe you're a teenager or a young adult, and you think, I'm going to honor God with my sexual purity. And your friends say, well, you're going to What? You're going to give that up? You're an idiot. That's just crazy. No, no, I'm, I'm, and they're going to make fun of you. And they're going to persecute you for righteousness sake. Maybe right now you just say, um, there's certain kinds of movies that I'm just not going to go to because I, I just can't, I can't enjoy myself watching them take something that's immoral and present it as desirable and good. It just, it just can't do that. And they go, what? You know, and, 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 and they make fun of you. 
Or maybe you say, and this is a harder one, you say, uh, I'm not going to put my children in a certain specific sports league. Well, why not? Well, because they play their games on Sunday morning. Oh, you're going to let church come in the way of the future of your 11-year-old? Well, maybe church is a better investment in the future of your 11-year-old than the sports league. Could be. And they make fun of you for it. Or maybe you're seeking God and you are pursuing it with all your might and still things are going on in your life that are really difficult and hard. And the people who aren't Christians around you look at that and say, hey, where's your God now? Where's God now? How come you're having all these problems if God loves you? And there's going to be times when you realize that persecution comes because there is spiritual oppression. The enemy of your soul doesn't like it when you move towards the Lord. If you're Christ-centered, Christ -centered, you're going to be persecuted. So I want to get past all the bad news because, okay, we're, we've had enough of that, Terry. Can we talk about something different? Yeah, we can talk about something different. Lisa, I told you that train would come by in the middle of the sermon. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm so distractible. I hear the train, and I saw it on the way in this morning. I thought, it's going to come right to the sermon. Um, so I want to talk to you about, since it's a fact, Jesus declared we will be persecuted. And as a parent, you can try to protect your children, but Jesus has already said they're going to be persecuted. So wouldn't you be better off rather than to shield something from something that you can't shield them from? Better, better would be to, to prepare them for it. So how do we prepare our families for persecution? I mean, how do we root their faith in Christ so they can handle persecution when it comes? Okay, so I'm going to give you three, three ways, three, three steps we can take. And the first one is this. We need to teach our children to expect it. We're going to teach them to expect persecution. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Everyone. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Christ, you'll be persecuted. If your family is Christ-centered, in some way you're going to be different, and people won't understand, and they're going to criticize you. It's just a fact. And you'll experience this in your own unique way because you are hearing from the Lord, okay, how am I supposed to live my life, Lord? And you're going to express things in the way you do. It's going to be different from me. Maybe, maybe for example, you'll be impressed by the Lord that you, um, this is an example that I think is common, that you decide that you want to homeschool your kids. Now, by the way, I'm not making a statement about schools, public or private. I think they're good. I think homeschooling is good. I think the most important thing is you hear from the Lord about your children, which Lisa and I did every year. We were willing to homeschool, and every year the Lord said, no, put them there. And I know have close friends that, that homeschool, and I think it's the right thing for them. So I'm not making a statement about whether you should or shouldn't do those things. That's between you and the Lord. But I've, I, know, I have no close friends who've decided to do this, and I've heard the reactions to them about their choice about their own family. Oh, no. You're going to homeschool your kids. Don't do that. Will they be able to read? Are they going to always go around with their hair in a bun? Are they going to wear long skirts? Oh, no, they're going to churn their own butter, you know. <laughs> well, they look good in a bun, and the butter tastes great, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know for you, but when you're Christ-centered, you'll be different than the world around you, and they're going to make fun of you. Maybe Thanksgiving, you're going to take some little jabs because you want to pray. Give the Lord thanks on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Go for it. You know, maybe you won't get invited to certain parties because 
you just have decided and declared to them, no, I'm just really not going to get drunk with you on Saturday nights anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Maybe they make fun of you because you do a Bible study during your break time or in the study hall at school. Or maybe they make fun of you because you dress modestly and so many others are dressing immodestly. Whatever it is, if they make fun of you, you just expect it. It's just a part of following Christ. And so here's my advice to you if you're raising kids. I'd suggest you don't shield them from controlled, appropriate amounts of persecution. You can't stop it. And sometimes you need to let a little bit of the world not affect them, but enough of the world for them to realize how to stand in that environment, because someday they're going to stand without your protection. And in appropriate doses. Now, that's a parental thing. I'm not saying swing open the doors and let it rain. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying appropriate. I mean, here's an example for us. Our kids were elementary age, and um, I have nothing against costumes and candy bars, okay? Nothing against that. Um, But as a dad, at at one point I decided that I was going to research the origins of Halloween. And um, I did that. And by the way, I have prepared this for you, which I'm not going to give it to you. You You have to go get it. And it's on the table out there. If you want to know what I found out about Halloween, I, I put this out last couple of years, and it's just information about the roots of Halloween. But I felt like I should, I should as a father, a responsible father, find out about what Halloween was. And the reason was because as a child, it was one of my favorite you know, things. I mean, it was, you know, I'm a little boy. I like spooky stuff and spiders and not the cats, but the spiders. And, <laughs> and um, there's just something, never mind anybody, cats, I'm going to get in trouble. And um, if you dig into this, you will find, I believe, you'll probably find that there are parts of the roots of Halloween that just aren't very pleasing to God. And there's certainly not an area that that he would want to bless some of those things. And I remember the spooky emphasis. In fact, if I can remember, now now you're going to learn in the next couple of minutes why I don't lead worship here. But I remember this song when I was this little, little, little guy. On October 31, when the sun goes to rest, that's the night of Halloween when fun is at its best. (laughs) Listen, that wasn't meant to be a performance, but did you get that creepy? It's at its best. You know, and the little boy in me would go, yeah, I don't know what that means. And um, it stirred stuff in me as a little guy. I remember, you know, it's fun, but there's a dark side to it. And children pay a price. They, they, they pay a price. And so we had talked about it, and we made a family decision that we didn't want our kids to go to the classroom Halloween party. It was a big day to a lot of the kids and stuff like that, but very early on we decided we weren't going to do that. So we made this family decision, and it wasn't just to tell our kids that we're different. It was so that we would actually be different. We decided to actually be different because we're a Christ-centered family. So we decided to replace the, the day at school with something different, and so we created this tradition, and our kids grew up. Every year on Halloween, we took them out of school, and we had talked to their teachers in advance, and we said, listen, we support you, and we were inv- involved with our kids. We supported the teachers. They did a great job. Um, but we said, it's our belief that we want our kids, their, their emphasis to be on something other than Halloween 
So on that day, we're going to do something that we feel is more productive for our kids. So we took them out of school, and um, we, that was the year every year that we renewed our membership in the Pacific Science Center. We'd drive to Seattle, and we'd go to the Science Center, and we'd do fun things, and we'd end up with pizza. And by the time the day was over, the kids were way glad they weren't in the classroom in the, in the, in the party day. They were way glad. And we were building in our, our, our kids the idea that we do something different, which to us, it's better in spite of the pressure. Because they got questions from the kids. How come you don't get to come? How come you can't? Uh, you know, th- at their level, some of it was innocent. Of course, some of it was teasing. And they were experiencing it. People criticized. Some disagreed, thinking that we were fanatics. Some people didn't understand. Some people still don't understand. And we weren't trying to draw a line in the sand about trick-or-treating. We were planting this value in our children. We're willing to be different. And we'll be be persecuted a little bit for it. So whatever that looks like in your life, whatever God speaks to you, you teach your children early. We expect it to be Christ-centered. People will make fun of us. And I, I think that this is so important. The reason that we're, we're hearing this today is that you know the persecution in this country has been relatively light. It is. It's been light. But as I look at it, I think it's increasing every single day. I, th- I think, you know, there's a growing hostility towards Christianity in our country and against Christ's values. And I think that you have to learn to stand strong. You are, I think you are. But your children have to stand strong as well because this heat is just going to become more. And they need to have their roots down in deep in the Lord. Jesus said it very directly in John 15, 18. He said, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So we teach our families to expect it. The second thing we teach them to do is we teach them to endure it. We teach them to withstand it, to endure the persecution. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. We don't whine. We don't cry. We don't gripe about it. You know, hey, somebody unfriended me on Facebook. I can't stand the pain. (laughs) I got that from somebody. Why'd you unfriend me? Don't know you. Um, We don't cry and we don't whine. We, 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 We endure it. And I, I just want to respectfully remind you that persecution in this country is incredibly light compared to what it is out there. Some of you may have confessed your faith to Christ, and your family may have just pretty much disowned you. I, I know people who have opened their heart to the Lord in a Christian church, and their family of a Catholic background feels like they have abandoned the mother church, and they've disowned them. There are places in the world today where if you confess your faith, you know, they'll cut out your tongue or your ear. Or even, even today, there are places where people lose their lives because they declare their faith in Christ. So when people make fun of you because you have different values, you just take it. You just take it with a smile. And when God calls you to do something different, for example, he says, you know, get out of debt. You, you, you just 
don't get in so much debt by borrowing so much money and you decide, okay, I'm going to work at this. I'm going to drive a little bit older car and I won't have quite as big a house. And your friends are saying, hey, why are you doing that? Come on, do it the way we do it. We love being in debt. Ha, ha, ha. You say, you just endure it. You just endure it because you're a follower of Christ. And when you do that, something amazing is going to happen because God's going to be doing something inside of you. When you endure persecution like that, your spiritual roots roots grow deeper. Your intimacy with Christ increases and your spiritual resolve is strengthened. You just get to the point where you just, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I remember when I felt called into the ministry um, and I had been working for AT&T for about 11 years and, and so I went into my boss one day and I said, I'm leaving. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go to work for a church. Jaw drops, hits the, you know, never conceived that. It was an inconceivable thing to say to someone in the business world. I mean, she looked at me like I had lobsters coming out of my ears, you know, and I'm, why would you do something so stupid? That's what she said. Why would you do something so stupid? I, I said, I really feel called by the Lord. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Oh, you're a talented guy. You're, you know, you've got a future here. What? Why waste all that you have at a church? Whatever. That's the reaction I got. Persecuted. Now, on a side note, the Lord, I really protected me too. Not only was I obeying and following his leading for my life, but um, about a year and a half later, this particular uh, person who was a manager over me got fired because she had been falsifying some documents in the, in, to make her performance look better than it actually was. And um, all of the managers that managed at my level in this organization were stained by her failure, her, her, her failure of integrity. In fact, many of them got suspended and all kinds of other things happened. And I avoided all of that. I walked out of that place with my integrity and my reputation and everything intact. And the Lord protected that. And had I, even though I had been there and was doing righteously, I would have been swept into that. I would have been painted with that same broad brush. So not only um, did the Lord lead me, I'm so glad for that, but he protected me at that same time. The, the Lord's timing is right about those things. If I had caved, to her deal, and stayed, I would have been swept into that whole thing, and I'm so glad. But I did have, you know, my closest um, confidants, people that I submit my life to, and I went to, and I told them about this decision. They said, this, this doesn't make sense, but it's the Lord. But I also had friends and acquaintances who were not quite so close, who reacted differently. They, you know, they were concerned for why I was doing such a stupid thing, you know. How are you going to raise your family? Your wife's pregnant? We were pregnant when I went in and resigned from a high-paying, good job, career job, and um, because God told me to. You know how much that made me look like a nutcase to them? <laughs> now, by the way, if you do that, you better have really heard from God. It better not be too much pizza late at night in your tummy growling. And as I got that resistance, you know what that did to me? It, it deepened my faith in the Lord. It solidified the decision for me. It helped me understand that I wasn't living for the approval of others, but I was living for the approval of God. And it did something inside of me. And if you haven't really been persecuted in a while, 
I'm, I'm, I'm still telling you that that might be a little bit of a disadvantage to you because all through history, when the church has been under some pressure, it's when it's become the strongest, becomes stronger. There's a sense of unity and, and passion and boldness. You know, persecution does something. It's, it's, it weeds out those who don't really mean it. And it strengthens those who do. And when your family stands together for Christ, not just, yeah, we're kind of a Christian family. Um, you know, we're not for anything else, so I guess we're Christians. Instead of, you know, standing where we're, we're Christ-centered, it draws you together and it gives you a sense of strength and identity in God. And now, parents, I want you to catch this about that family identity. Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. When your family identity is strong, the power of peer pressure over your children diminishes. But when your family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. I see it all the time. You know, when there's this deep grounded spiritual identity, you know, we're followers of Christ and we know sometimes we're going to be persecuted and that's okay because we're living for something higher. We have forever in mind. Then there's this strong family identity and all that pressure that your kids face, it just doesn't have the punch that it would have otherwise. Because we have purpose, we have identity, we have values. But when that's not there, when that family identity is not there, when there's no real family mission, no purpose, or no higher calling, no, no cause outside of yeah, we're just trying to have a good time and get the latest version of the newest car. I mean, then the peer pressure is so much stronger, stronger because they don't know who they are. And more importantly, they don't know whose they are. So we're not just Christian family in name only. We're Christ-centered. It means something to us. So we tell our family, you know, we're going to expect sometimes for people to give us some static because we believe the way we do. And when it comes to you, you endure it. We teach our kids that. You don't just endure it, though. Um, there's another word that I want to tell you to teach your family, and that is this. You embrace it. You embrace it. You thank God that you're persecuted for, that, because he was persecuted for you and for me. You embrace it. Peter was talking to um, um, some Christians who were being, you know, they were suffering. They were being persecuted way beyond the things that we experience here in our, you know, in fact, later, this group of people, you might know of them in, from history because when they wouldn't refuse the name of Jesus and turn away from their faith in Jesus, they got shoved into the center of a big old Colosseum where then the people that ran the Colosseum would release really hungry lions and they would be devoured in front of huge crowds of people who would take entertainment persecuting these people that they tried to get to renounce Jesus. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Peter was talking to them. 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery, some translations say painful, the fiery ordeal that come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And this is so powerful. He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The word Christian only shows up in the New Testament three times. Here and a couple of times in the book of Acts. So here it is, the name Christian that so many in America just claim to because they're born here. And people here are dying because they've taken the name on. You praise God that you bear that name. When your friends make fun of you because you're praying over a meal, you praise God that you bear the name. When the guys at the bachelor party say, come on, we're going to go to the club. 
and you know what I mean, kind of club, when they say they're going to go there, you say, no, I'm not going to go. What do you mean you're not going to go? Well, I'm just not going to go. I mean, someday I'm going to get married, and I want to honor my future wife today. You're going to what? You are crazy. You are kidding me. How is what you do here going to affect your future wife someday? Well, I'm trying to keep my mind pure and my heart right. And I'm going to treat women respectfully. Wow. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for that. Praise God, gentlemen, when you are persecuted because you don't treat women as sex objects, but you honor them and you treat them as children of God like they really are. Praise God for that. And that is slipping away in the media. It's just slipping away in some versions of music that it's just, um, it's heartbreaking. Blessed are you when you, when people make fun of you because you walk away from some sort of a business deal where you know you can make some money, but you also know that it's just a slight amount of unethical. You're just a little bit unethical. And they make fun of you and they laugh at you and say, come on, everybody does this. Everybody fudges a little bit in this area. And, um, and you say, no, I, you know, I made a covenant with the Lord and I'm going to do what's right. I believe God will bless me more later. Thank you, God, that I get to suffer this kind of persecution by standing for you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of God. It does something inside of you. And one of the success moments that I had when I uh, was with my kids, and I'll just share this with you, is, you know, I pastored in this church up the road, Living Water, and it's a big church, and we had all kinds of stuff going on at different times where we were trying to enlarge parking lots and do building things and so forth. And it seems like um, I was always somewhere in the middle of that fray. I don't, are we on the wrong slide? Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, that's okay. I'm distracted too easily. So... um Sorry. <laughs> That's all we got. That's the only slide. I'm sorry. Where's the last slide? Um, so I, I, I was thinking about this, and I, there's this article in the newspaper, and I was, it, it just really angered me because we had been in a public hearing. And as a church, we had been doing the right thing, and the city kept moving the goalpost. Do this. So we would do that very carefully. And they would say, no, now the goalpost is over here. So we would do that very carefully. And so we were in this continuing thing where we had public hearings and we were before the city council. And we were finally ended up before this hearing examiner. And there were people that came out of the woodwork to testify against our church. They didn't come to our church. They were just against church. And there was this one character who came and he had studied the issues and he knew that one of the requirements the city had made to us was do not allow people to park in this very specific part of your property. We said, okay. We put stripes there. We put barricades around there, and nobody parked there. We were very careful and diligent about it. He shows up at this meeting, and he knew that that was a flashpoint with the city. And here's this photograph he produces. And in this photograph, here's the, here's the restricted area with a van parked in the middle of that area. I looked at that, and it sprung on me at the public hearing, and I thought, oh, no, one time somebody parks there. We've tried so carefully to prevent it, and, uh, and now it blew our integrity. And this is the story that made the newspaper. And I thought, how can this be? It's persecution. So I started sniffing, and I found out where this guy lived. <laughs> and I drove past his house. And guess what I saw in his driveway? 
that same van. That same van. I called the attorney that was helping us, and I said, here's the truth now. I want this guy. I want him on perjury. I want blah, 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 blah. He said, down, 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 boy, down, boy. (laughs) And at the same time, the Holy Spirit said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Because of righteousness. And so I let it go. So I read this article to my children. You need to understand that there are people that hate us. They hate our church because we believe in Jesus. They don't know you. They hate the church. They hate me. They even hate you children because you go here and they don't even know you. And I wasn't trying to make my kids be afraid, but I wanted them to understand. And at this point, my kids had just entered high school and they were attending Capitol High School. And so I thought I was doing this preparing of my children. And this is the success I was going to tell you. And they very politely listened to me talk this through with them. And one of them said, hey, Dad, at Capitol High School, all the kids always accuse us of attending a cult already. So what we need to do here is just pray more, right? And I was, you know, they weren't rattled by the newspaper article. They weren't sucked in by it. Why? Because we have an identity. We have a family identity. We are Christ-centered and we're okay with some persecution. We're not just Christ, the Christian family. We're Christ-centered. And I hadn't really realized how deeply they'd embrace that fact because people aren't going to like our family. It's just part of it. It's just part of it. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop who we are. It's not going to stop what we believe. So don't ever worry when your family is being persecuted a little bit. The only time you really should worry is if your family is never being persecuted. Because if you're never being persecuted at all, there's, and I want to say this as lovingly as I can, there's a chance that you might be a Christian family in name only. You know, we say to our parents, you know, Mom, Dad, what are we about? Well, we're going to go to the game. Yeah. You know, we're going to go to the beach. Yeah. Granite countertops. Cool. (laughs) Vacation. Yeah. No, what are we about? We're about Jesus. We're about his kingdom. We're we're about his purpose. We're about his glory. We're about making a difference. That's what we're about. And you need to know that we're about those things and we will be persecuted. So don't worry when you are. Worry when you're not. If everything's going okay, if there's never any spiritual opposition with the direction you're going in life, it might be because you're walking the same direction as the devil that'd be bad because when you're walking towards God there is always spiritual opposition blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake if you're a Christian family you will be persecuted because that's just part of it so what do you do you expect it you endure it blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of God you don't get you don't strike back you don't get angry, you don't get defensive, you just love and you love and you love and you love. And you're not going to settle for being a blend-in, cultural Christian family because God has called you to something more. We're Christ-centered in all we do. God bless this home. Let's pray. God, I ask today that your spirit would minister to us and that, Lord, we would be Christ-centered in the things that we do. I guarantee 
keep your eyes closed, please. But I guarantee people in this, uh, the, the people in this room that there are some of you that right now you might be recognizing that I'm a bit more of a cultural Christian than I should be. And I, I sense that I should be more Christ-centered. And those that in this room that are really serious about your faith and yet you recognize that there's more. I, 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 want, I want to be even better spiritual leader for my family. I want to be better mom to my kids. I want to be a better witness to my friends. I want to be more Christ-centered in the way I live. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for people that you would be saying this to and that would be responding and say, yes, God, I want to honor you. God, I pray that even now you would lead our minds to be more conformed to the image of Christ. That, God, we would be influencers also of people around us. God, I pray for those who may be Christian, you know, maybe the only Christians in their family. God, that you would give them favor and wisdom about how to share your love. God, I pray that you would pause, that in this pause, Lord, that you would cause people among us to rise up and to be able to lead others to a higher place, a higher calling, a divine purpose, a mission to make a difference in the world, Lord, for your glory. And God, I just invite you to convict us to fall more in love with you, empowered by your spirit, directed by your words to lift up the name of Jesus. That he not be a part of our life, but he be the center of who we are, all that we do. Lord, give us Christ-centered homes, I pray in Jesus' name.